0: Welcome, welcome all to the next installment of Thronderdome, the world's only Star Wars podcast done by true Star Wars uh, not-so-much-enjoyers. I am your host, Dr. Daniel Dottie, the esteemed Dr. Daniel Dottie, uh, and with me as always is my intrepid co-host, Ronnie Gardaki. Ronnie, how are you feeling tonight? Feeling Fantastic. Fantastic. That's great. That's, a, that's the kind of attitude we need to bring to the pod here. And I feel like the material is going to need a little juicing because, I don't know about you, but I felt like there was a lot of filler in these chapters. Uh, but as always... This was a, this was a pretty boring segment. This is, <laughs> and, and, and once again, I, I think this is evidence of the, the mastery that Timothy Zahn has over his craft, is that he's a master of pacing. He's a master of controlling the tempo of the narrative so that we're not overwhelmed all at once, you know. So I take it as a chance to, we're, we'll kick back. We'll, we'll spin our wheels for a little bit. We'll have multiple page descriptions of stuff that I'm going to skip over. And uh, we'll just see where the night takes us. Um, is, there, is, it a, is, is it
1: possible to include a pee break in a book? Because <laughs> I think this is like the pee break for the
0: book. But to that, to that <laughs> we'll get to it. Uh, so, like I said, we're on Chapter 7 of Dark Force Rising, the second novel in the Thrawn trilogy. Uh, and we open with... Uh, you know our, our Lunchbox heroes have split up once again. Leia, Chewie, and C-3PO are on board the Millennium Falcon, and they have just arrived in orbit around Endor, where uh, Leia had agreed to meet the, the Nogri Commando Karabakh, After uh, having spoken with him on Kashyyyk and him getting a big sniff of her neck and deciding that she was the queen of the universe because she was Darth Vader's daughter. So she's making good on her uh, her plan to rendezvous with him, which I also guess means that we can say that a month has passed in between those events. It's always fun when you can actually place a chronology uh, (laughs) in this stuff. But... uh... But they, they've arrived. Karabak isn't there yet. They're, they're a, a full day before the meeting time. So Chewie and C-3PO leave the cockpit to go take care of some repairs. They're kind of tinkering with stuff. Leaving Leia to look down on the moon. And she starts telling the twins about it. She kind of rubs her her pregnant belly. And is uh, telling the twins about that's the battle that saved the universe. And, and then starts kind of darkly ruminating over the fact that the post-indoor mopping up period has now dragged on for five years. Uh, she's yelling across the ship about... This is something I find annoying. Yeah.
1: It's something I find annoying that I think is Star Wars uh, as a whole is guilty of is they interchangeably use the moon of Endor and Endor. I was going to ask you about that.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, because I know the...
1: Because I'm pretty sure it's established that, that the Ewoks live on the moon of Endor. Right, like Endor is the name of the, the gas giant
0: moon. planet. And it's the forest moon of the planet Endor. But... Yeah, but of course, and part of that is kind of the faults of English or basic we might call it, where you can say like, you know, uh I don't know. You can say the the, the forest moon of Endor. can, yeah, can but Still it, be the name like, of it. it. It's
1: like saying the Moon It's like saying the Moon live on Earth.
0: <laughs> right. Or or can it, well, I mean saying the Yeah, you're right, you're right. I mean, all this is it's uh yeah. Uh, I'm with you. It is annoying, and it is not clarified at all in any of uh, Zahn's text. Which, again, you know, I mean, that's part of his.
1: Look, I was, I was really like, I was scraping really hard finding stuff of interest in this chapter. <laughs> so, like nitpicks, fine. We're,
0: we're gonna, we're doing, um, we're doing what is it, Cinema Sins? We're going that route for this one to try to yeah. get some content out of it. Um. Uh, Leia's yelling with Chewie across the ship. He's working on something and yelling at her to see if a certain light blinks on. And uh, as they're doing that, uh, she's overcome by a wave of darkness and blacks out. And when she comes to, Chewie and 3PO are are tending to her, but they were completely unaffected by whatever had happened. Uh, Leia has a hunch and asks Chewie if their orbit takes them through the location where the second Death Star was destroyed and the Emperor died. Sure enough, they passed through it about five minutes ago. Uh, and there, there was a there was a touch that I thought was pretty funny. They're 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 kind of talking about it. Like I really don't know. She had to admit it sounds a little like something Luke went through on uh, during his Jedi training. She amended, remembering just in time that Luke still wanted Dagobah's significance to be kept a secret. What is the textual basis for this? Is it? Is it just because Luke never said, "Hey, I've been on Dagobah" in the movies that Zahn assumes it must be secret? I re- I'm very confused by this whole thing that happens about Dagobah. He wants
1: to keep that. He wants to keep uh, getting clowned by a turdy little frog a secret.
0: <laughs> he wants to keep it a secret that he had his he had his uh, his uh, fucking uh, slim jims stolen by a stupid little pig monster.
1: <laughs>
0: That's true. It's also just,
1: legit. Also legit. It's a legit note of mine uh regarding this uh segment, uh do pregnant women black out frequently? Question mark.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Well it, it does weird things to your blood pressure. So I bet there are women who as part of their pregnancy had like a sort of a, an increased tendency for fainting or something. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe it's just getting the, the pregnant wobbles. Uh who knows? Um, but she, she assures both of them that she's fine and then she shoes them away and then is promising to herself that she will not be intimidated even as she goes and adjusts the, uh, the orbital mechanics to make sure they never pass through that spot again as they're waiting on Karabakh. Uh, now we smash cut to the walled city of Illic on planet New Cove where Han and Lando have arrived and they're, you know, they're investigating the Bothans if you'll recall, this was the the one star system where the Bothans actually put up a fight anywhere. Uh, so Han's kind of suspicious and wants to check it out. Uh, and we actually get some description, but the description is pretty stupid. <laughs> I do want to read it. Uh, the topmost bit of the walled city Illich poked through the clutching trees of the jungle pressing tightly around it looking to Han for all the world like some sort of dome-topped, silver-skinned droid drowning in a sea of green quicksand. <laughs> Is that what it looks And I, I thought this was stupid for two reasons. One, drowning in a sea of green quicksand. I don't, I don't know. That just sounds... That's very clunky. I wish... Isn't that just vegetation? Right. I wish Betsy would have had him taken another pass at that. And also, hmm... Do we know any dome-topped, silver-skinned droids... <laughs> it just seems like a weird workaround for, like, not saying R2-D2. <laughs> or, like, I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, I guess I would have said it as something like, you know, look for all the world like an R2 unit drowning in a sea of green quicksand or whatever. Because that's clearly what he has in mind. I mean, what a, a dome-top silver droid. Come on. But I do think I do think that all this was... Oh, sorry, please.
1: For rights reasons, he can't use the term R two, so he has to do the generic brand.
0: <laughs> Even in his novel, that's licensed from Star Wars, it's only like certain chapters he can say R two. It's uh, it's a whole thing. It's it's all about it's all about residuals and uh, back end points. You know, we won't get in, it's very it's very industry. We won't have to get into it. Uh, but they're approaching uh, this uh, construction. Han wonders how they're going to land the ship, but Lando notes some vents in the top of the structure large enough for space barges to fit through. And the, the, the enclosing of these cities has to do with the, this lush jungle life on the planet, which is full of exotic plants with all manner of pharmaceutically and chemically useful biochemicals. That, uh, the, the, so the main industry of this planet is rendering those biochemicals out of its uh, jungle resources and then selling those off-world. But this also means that the environment itself is pretty, ha- pretty hazardous, for life forms from off world. I I imagine it's some kind of thing where like you could land and like you you breathe in poison sumac or something and you just die instantly. Um, But uh, so, you know, that's a, if they had a red shirt around, he would absolutely do that. Exactly. That just to establish that that's what the rules are. Lando sets the ship down after clearing with air traffic control. And then they're uh, greeted. I, I like this. They're greeted by a professional greeter who hands them a data pad with maps and has some, like, suggestions on places to eat and stuff. And I realized that, like, you know, if I had to have a job in the in the Star Wars universe and I couldn't be, like, a main guy, then uh, you know, being a professional greeter on a planet would actually be, you know, be pretty nice. You get to meet people from all over the galaxy. You get to be helpful and friendly. I don't know. It seems like kind of a nice gig.
1: Watch as Daniel seamlessly transitions... From library to Walmart
0: greeter as he ages. <laughs> I mean, honestly, uh, when you're working the front desk, a lot of a lot of your job is greeting people, and that's important. It's important to make people feel welcome uh, because it is their library. It is owned by the people. It is the people's house. Uh, but enough uh, enough of that. Yeah, all right, Trotsky. All right, all right, all right. I'm not going to get on to my whole soapbox about the provision of universal goods free at point of use. Uh, <laughs> but anyway. So uh, they're meant to meet up with Luke at, uh, as as the the text puts it, a little tap cafe called the Mishra, uh, a couple floors down from the spaceship platforms. Uh, Lando starts needling Han as like, hey, so what's the uh, what's the hook here? And uses the term we had again. This is a fun Timothy Zahnian Star Warsy, and he's talking about like, hey, yeah, what do you got me doing all this cloak and blade stuff? Because they don't have daggers. In star wars cloak and blade i don't know uh han Demures for a little at first kind of play maybe dagger is also trademarked <laughs> i believe it's trademarked by uh sequest dsv because in their second season they began that with a tv movie uh featuring some genetically engineered super soldiers called the daggers i don't know if you remember your sequest uh Listeners might
1: want to know that this was originally meant to be a Sequest DSV podcast, but cooler heads prevailed.
0: <laughs> it still can be. We'll see where we'll see where life takes us. Um, but uh... I do own the Blu-ray, so Oh, wow, yeah, <laughs> we might actually have to do that at some point. Uh, we can just make this podcast about all the things that really disappointed me when I was eleven. <laughs> that would be. <laughs> That's the, unif- <laughs> the unifying theme <laughs> Anyway um, Han plays a little cagey They do their little back and forth They have their, their bants uh, But hints that if Lando helps him out here Then he might be able to find a buyer For someone with a stockpile of say Hefridium, burning a hole in his pocket Because you know earlier uh, you know Luke kind of got that out of Lando That he's looking to unload a bunch of Hefreedium He was trying to manipulate the stock market with but just as Lando is asking, so what are we actually doing here anyway? Which I think is very fun to go with your friend to another planet filled with dangerous, poisonous plants. And then you are finally get around to like, so what is this about anyway when you land? Uh, Han shushes him and ducks behind a column. Because he has espied a Bothan. And not just any Bothan. So this isn't Han... Yeah, I
1: really like this moment. This isn't
0: Han being spacist. Uh, it's not just that he's hiding from Bothans. But it's it is... A guy he knows, Tav Bralia, one of Falia's top guys. So, so what? yeah, what, what did you like about this moment?
1: Well, I like that Lando goes, you're kidding.
0: How can you tell?
1: As as though uh, he thinks, uh, well, you know, all Bothans pretty much look alike. How can you tell that this is the the Tav uh, Brelia guy? Uh, that neck piece he wears, some kind of family crest or something. I've seen it <laughs> dozens of times at council meetings. So... Yeah. I, I like the suggestion that, that the Bothans are so ugly that when Han looks at them, he has to, like, focus on something on their neck.
0: <laughs> he, can't, he can't focus on their facial features because it's just, just awful. He's going to look at whatever jewelry they're wearing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they kind of get their heads together. Uh, Han sends Lando off to the Mishra, the tap cafe, to make good on their rendezvous with Luke while he tails the Bothan to see what he can find out. So uh, Han follows him through several uh, food courts and atriums. I'm just imagining a big mall right now uh, to a warehouse district near the city wall where, as the text says, a vast mural has been painted against the, the exterior wall. And that's it. It's not even like a, a, a landscape. A, just, a mural of a what? A mural of what? Why would you even say there's a vast mural? Is it, uh, the only thing I can assume is it's uh, a vast mural of the notorious RBG uh <laughs> I was trying to think of <laughs> mural art <laughs> that i know uh that was one that i was just kind of like come on man um uh, he watches uh, as he watches rather uh, Bralia. he slips into a door underneath the sign in one of these warehouses that says amethyst shipping and storage uh but as he's kind of watching this he's a bit startled by a woman's voice behind him cuz he's, he's I, I thought this was funny he's hans muttering to himself He says he ducked into an inconvenient doorway about 30 meters down the street from the warehouse. The door Brelia had gone through, he could see, carried a faded sign, amethyst shipping and storage above it. I just hope it's on the map, he muttered under his breath, pulling his comm link from his belt. It is, a woman's voice came softly behind him. Uh, So I think that that is pretty fun, that he's like muttering to himself, just like, all right, I'm going to get this out here and do my spy stuff uh, out loud but uh there's this woman who's got a blaster guy
1: immediately thinks that this is a robbery
0: yeah yeah well you know she's sticking him up you know she's like hey turn around I got a blaster on you uh but uh, this woman is described as short and slender perhaps 10 years older than him So how old is Han Solo do we think 40 35 35? well Luke is. well I guess Luke is 30 at this point. We, we determined I was I was listening back to old episodes a while ago. We, that's what we determined for Luke. So, yeah, I guess 30. We'll, we'll call Han Solo and even 30 uh, with close cut graying hair. The woman. So she keeps that blaster on him, confiscates his comlink, And uh, she's about to frog march him into that warehouse when a siren goes off. And then we cut away from that point of view character <laughs> and switch over to Luke who is people-watching over at the Mishra, and we get a little bit of insight into jizz music. I, I, I did like this. So Luke's kind of looking around thinking, wow, this is a lot like the Moss Eisley Cantina, because I think we've gone ten pages... Can, can,
1: I, can I cover this, please? Oh, please, yeah, go ahead. Um, Like you said, uh, this is the classic Zanian uh, tactic of reminding you of something that you know of in order to establish the new scene, in which case... Uh, this is, uh, hey, remember the Mos Eisley Cantina? This is kind of like that. <laughs> and, he, and, he, uh, and he depicts it in such an absurd, awkward way. Uh, like, uh, let's see, he describes it as, uh, The bars and tables were crowded with the same wide assortment of humans and aliens. The smells and sounds were equally uh, variegated and the band off in the corner was playing similar music, a style, obviously, that had been carefully tailored to appeal to a multitude of different races.
0: <laughs> yeah. I want to know what that means. <laughs> well, that was kind of the insight into jizz whaling that we just got there. Like... <laughs> it's, so I guess we were led to believe that jizz... Did a robot like, write this? That, like... So so jizz, jizz, jizz style music is... Evidently, evidently, that is what's played in bars and cantinas because it's the most widely inoffensive to a multitude of different races, I guess. So that makes it what, like the soft rock of the galaxy, like what? elevator music, Elevate, yeah, like music, maybe. Like it was really, yeah, that jumped out to me as well. I thought that was pretty funny, and it, and but I can see, like, as a science fictional concept, I do like it. Because, like, physiologically, all these different, uh, you know, alien races will have, like, different ranges of hearing. They'll have, like, different response to different, uh, you know, pitches and, and chord changes. They might not even be able to perceive chords. They might not hear music as, you know, thirds and fifth intervals and all that stuff that human beings do. Or not even human beings. That's like just in the Western musical tradition. I mean, there's, you know, quarter tones and countertones all over the, you know, different music systems out there. So it does make sense. Like I can, I can see. Yeah, that. it was, but that's what you come up with. Right, that's just a really dumb way of putting it. <laughs> then, yeah, then you come up with right, like Kenny G stuff. Oh, it's it's not even Kenny G stuff. It's it's zippier than that. Um, yeah, I thought that was awesome. Another awesome touch in this section is uh, he took a look, uh, took a sip of his drink, a local variant of the hot chocolate Lando had introduced him to. This one with a touch of mint. Ronnie, a second hot chocolate has hit the towers.
1: This is Zahn doubling down. It's like, oh, you fuckers didn't like me when I used hot chocolate in the first book. Well, here it is again. And
0: and this time with mint. (laughs) It's flavored hot chocolate. You sons of bitches. Eat it up. I I hope the hot chocolate gets more and more
1: elaborate with each book.
0: I think so. I think that's we're going to see a progression. I hope that Timothy Zahn... Like, because at this point, he's like, all right, you pigs, this is the only new Star Wars you're ever going to get. This is this is it. So you're going to have to put up with whatever I want to put in there. So he's just really shoving it in their faces. Uh, but uh, this 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 lovely tableau is interrupted by an inhuman bellow as uh, two bar patrons described as a Barabel and a Rodian. Uh, the Rodian is never described, it's just taken as given that you know that that's what Greedo guys are called. We all remember Greedo from the first Star Wars movie. He is a Rodian. That's
1: what he's supposed to be?
0: Yes. Yes. It's a Greedo. Holy shit. <laughs> and it's never described. Like, the Barabella, at some point you get, like, it talks about his character.
1: Couldn't they at least, have put, couldn't they at least put in the book uh, Luke thinking, hey, that looks like that guy that Don shot. But he's
0: already talking about, it it looks like Mos Eisley. Like, how is it any, how is that any, uh, any, any, and there's even more references because there's, uh, at, at this next paragraph, it said, the, you know, there's the Barbell and Rodian stood facing each other over a table, both with blasters drawn. No blasters, no blasters, an SE4 servant droid called. That's a literal line from the cantina scene. So, like, why did, why did Zahn decide not to tip his hand about the Rodian looks like Greedo in this page that's full of references to the Moss Eisley scene. Really weird. Uh, the only thing I could
1: get from the Barbarell is that it has like a snout and it has a, a Zan favorite razor teeth.
0: Yes. I think at one other point it mentions like uh, he has like some kind of like keratinous scales on it on his like limbs or something. So he's got like armor plates. Yeah. But there's really not. There's very little to go on. Um but, I like can
1: imagine that you have the keys to Star Wars and the ability to create any sort of creature you want, and you just got to decide on hey, what about a bunch of descriptionless guys
0: <laughs> right it's like he's it's like that would be the fun part I would think of doing this project would be like coming up with all kinds of new monster guys to throw in there, but I guess he just likes coming up with names and not really going much beyond that um but, uh... Names named after his fucking friends in Tampa. <laughs> named after Joe Mark and which
1: I gotta say, th- which I gotta say this this chapter he could have used uh, some uh, some Joe Marks because yeah, like they're he's running on empty in terms of uh, in terms of uh, naming uh, ideas because like Ilex and and uh, or whatever
0: yeah. Yeah, it's um, I don't like him. He's al- he's also running low on on people. He's reusing guys that we have seen, uh which we'll get to in a second here. So so the Barabel and the Rodian are having a Mexican standoff. Um the Barabel blasts that droid, destroys it. Uh and then after a a brief exchange demand with the, the Barabelle demanding that the Rodian pay him, uh the Barabel spots Luke and he calls on Jedi for judgment. The, the, the Barabel is written with the uh the kind of uh, dropping the definite articles and indefinite articles in English as a way of demonstrating lack of mastery over the language, which is so often done. Um, Luke pulls a little bit of a "who me" routine, whereas the
1: Radian just doesn't speak English at all.
0: Yeah, he actually he doesn't have any. Li- they say the Rodian said something else. Like he just yeah, they chewy, they chewy him. He's Chewbacca style, where he just does Gleep Glorps and everyone acts like they understand him. Real weird. At least Greedo had subtitles. Greedo had subtitles in the movie. So even if you're going by, oh, well, because that was his explanation for Chewbacca, right? Like you can't directly translate what Chewbacca is saying because they never did that in the movies. There's precedent for a Rodian being understood with what he's saying, but he's not going for it. I don't, don't get it. Uh Luke pulls a bit of a who-me routine, and then, considering that if he's going to rebuild the Jedi Order, he's going to have to rebuild trust in the Jedi as, you know, judicious mediators, Luke takes the case. Um, So the whole thing, I'm not going to get into the details of it, because this goes on for pages, but the whole thing has to do with payment for a pest control job, the Barabell did, and the Rodian is paying him with Imperial money, which is how he got paid to then pass it on to the Barabell. The Barabell's never seen it before, he's not going to take it, he thinks it's funny money, he wants real money. Uh, Luke starts to ponder how he's going to This all comes down to exchange rates Yes, Luke starts to ponder how he's going to Untangle this knot And he ran through, quote, the sensory enhancement Techniques of the Jedi Which leads him to notice A scent of Karaba tabak. That's right It's Niles Farrier, the starship thief From a couple chapters ago He's, he's here for some reason So Luke, Luke Calls him out of the crowd To ask him about exchange rates. because all the gin joints in all the galaxies. (laughs) So, yeah. uh, Luke knows that he does business in both Imperial and New Republic space. So he asks him, like, hey, what would you say is the exchange rate between Imperial and New Republic currency? Um, So he sort of gives, like, ah, it's four to five, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, And then Niles is further pressured into helping because since the Rodian doesn't have enough New Republic money to pay... Farrier takes the Rodian's Imperial money and then pays out the New Republic money to Barabel, who now must also in fairness pay to replace the droid he just blasted. Justice is served. Luke dusts his hands off. He did it. Uh, Lando had walked up during all this and uh, he and Luke are kind of huddling afterward when they hear that siren that we heard go off in the last segment and it turns out this is the alarm that goes off when the New Cove cities are quote-unquote raided by the Imperials, um, which is basically because New Cove is not officially under Imperial suzerainty or whatever, and they're trying to, I don't know, the, the there's a delicate political balance here where New Cove is part of the New Republic, but still gives tribute to the Imperials by pretending that they're being raided when the Imperials show up to shake them down for some of those sweet, sweet biochemicals. Um, now, typically, of course, this goes off without a hitch. It's all arranged. You know, this, 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 we all know how to do business with a, with a, a legitimate businessman's club. But the trouble is, of course, they got the Lady Luck and the X-Wing <laughs> up in the spaceport. So uh this probably not going to stay business as usual for very long once the Imperials notice those particular starships. Uh Luke bids Lando to head up to the landing platform to see what the situation is while he goes after where they last knew Han was headed to go hook up with Han. And that's the end of the chapter. Uh weirdly, weird chaptering in this whole segment. But we move on now to chapter 8. Uh and we don't even. Yeah, chapter seven was really weird. It is very. Uh, it was a lot of treading water. I felt like. Uh felt like six
1: pages on like uh, Luke settling a cl- small claims court
0: dispute. <laughs> Which I guess we now know like what it was about Timothy Zahn that you know appealed to George Lucas. Like hmm, this this guy knows about how to spend a lot of time arguing about exchange rates and tariffs. We'll get him on board. I I like the,
1: I like the idea in principle. I just think it took too long to 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 uh, be established. It did. I like that we I I like that we are show, showing what Jedi actually are supposed to be doing in the universe. Yeah, as opposed to just uh, Luke training endlessly. <laughs>
0: right. Well, it is it is fun it is fun that we get a, a window into like what people expect out of Jedi's, and also that it's pretty boring um which you know i mean that's if everything's going well with your space society yeah your job's going to be pretty boring because you don't have to save the fucking galaxy every fucking day
1: yeah he could have a syndicated tv show called judge luke
0: <laughs> just all settling small claims the jedi judge the jedi judge and he's there like watching a divorced couple count out their beanie babies one by one <laughs> to like separate them oh
1: and then it's like he can use his
0: force powers to detect when someone's committing perjury Ooh, it's great. That is good. Yeah. Oh, and he bangs the gavel using force powers. I think we just... Yes. I, my God. Someone, someone get whoever's in charge of Star Wars. C-3PO's the bailiff? C-3PO's the bailiff. Oh, man. This is all coming together really well. We're going to we're gonna have to get together with somebody. There are like 300
1: know. Star Wars shows. This could be one this of them. This could
0: easily be one of them. I'm surprised they haven't branched out into parody reality television at this point. Um, and chapter 8 opens. It should. It. it should Chapter 8 opens and we're back with Han And the graying woman As she's referred to they, uh, She frog marches him into an office in the Amethyst building Where they meet a taller woman With an air of superiority And these are Irenez is the graying woman And the tall woman is Sina and They're kind of the two honchos Of whatever this operation is Here in the local office in, uh, in Illic City uh, but Then they bring in Tabralia who insists that the person they have here must be an Imperial spy and an imposter. Uh, and he says so much, you're an Imperial spy, come to destroy our friendship or even kill us all. So some friendship between whatever organization Uranus and Sina are involved in. Uh, but as they continue to dispute Han's validity, they get a report from their lookouts that another man is approaching. Medium build, dark blonde hair, dressed in black and carrying a lightsaber. No mistake in that guy. Um, that's Luke Skywalker. So we know this must be Han Solo. It's it's a little... Look- oh, uh, I thought
1: you were going to say Lando Calrissian. It's
0: Lando! Nah. He, he has he has beautiful black hair. He doesn't have dark blonde hair. Um, but... Uh, the... Um, Cena orders their lookouts to uh, approach Luke and invite him in. They return to Han's blaster and Comlink and apologize. Uh, but they have to be cautious. And it did seem a pretty tall coincidence that they're here at the same time as the Imperial Shakedown. And that made me pause because literally in the last chapter, Luke was able to solve his problem by there coincidentally being a starship thief, he knows, hanging out at the bar. And it's like, it's Star Wars stuff. Like, do you guys not know that coincidences happen all the time? That's probably literally the only thing that has saved the galaxy ten times over is coincidences. Because that's really the, like... It just seemed really weird to point out that, like, oh, this is a bit of a coincidence when, like, I don't know, we had it as a plot point, a a contrived coincidence. Um, But anyway, given that the Imperials are... Yeah, it seems very
1: questionable. I,
0: yeah, I, I, why bring that, why even bring that up? I mean, I say. Um, Well, since the Imperials are probably going to be a lot more snoopy about what's going on in New Cove, uh, this mysterious Sina and Iranez notify the commander about the situation and get ready to slip away. Uh, Han asks after this commander, and the women are tight-lipped, but they say that they're not enemies of the New Republic at the moment. Uh, Luke is escorted into the room by a couple of heavies, and Sina offers to take them all on her ship. Uh, Han demurs. Uh, they want to get back to their ships and try to try to escape uh, there. They're going to make their way back up to the landing pads with Irenez showing them the way, up like kind of a back stairs, basically, to get up there. And they make their way up to the top level, and they get in touch with Lando on the comm link. They're asking what his deal is. He's, he's hiding behind some barrels, because um, <laughs> Star Wars, uh, because there are Imperial soldiers and a handful of stormtroopers deployed on the landing area. Uh, and then, this is another one that was just so much treading water. It goes on for pages and pages and pages about how they distract the soldiers and get into the spaceships and then Luke takes off and then uses the X-Wing to blast the soldiers. And that gives Han Lando and Irenez time to run to the lady luck and get it to take off. And then they all, they all take off off into, into orbit. Um, How do you feel about it, Ronnie? Like was, was this a particular, like I just felt like this was one of the lamer kind of action sequences we've had so far. It just felt like a lot of time wasting.
1: It felt derivative of a lot of sequences we've seen before.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. maybe that was it. Like, like it yeah.
1: seems to me that it seems to me that the X-wing and the Lady Luck are always on the verge of being discovered by somebody, and they have to haul ass out of there <laughs> in time. That's
0: a good point. This is this is already ha- well. It's a, yeah. It's a little bit like how the you know we had like two or three Nogri commando kidnappings you know we now we have two or three the lady luck and the and luke's x-wing have to escape um they make it to orbit but there's some tie fighters and oh, yep. and part of me is part of me is like
1: okay like clearly like this is like this is the b uh, between a and c but does b have to be
0: so uh boring right i don't think so it really doesn't and and yet timothy goes for it he's like i'll i'll show everyone the I'm going to flex my writer's skill and make the B from A to B to C really boring <laughs> just to show them I can. Uh, so the ships make it to orbit, but they have some TIE fighters closing in on them because, of course, you know, a Star Destroyer is, is there to do the shakedown. Um, the other ship of that mysterious organization that uh, Sina is on made it away as well. They're, they're coming up behind him. And Irenes suggests that the Lady Luck stick nearby them as they're supposed to have help on the way. Uh, Luke takes a couple passes at the TIE Fighters to kind of distract and disrupt them and buy time. And then three Dreadnought Cruisers drop out of hyperspace. Sina's cavalry has arrived. Uh, When asked where Irenes would like to be dropped off once they make their escape in the Lady Luck, she says the commander is extremely interested in meeting again with Captain Solo. And Han's like, what do you mean, again? Who is this commander? Um... Orlando reasons that if they're going to track down what Failio was up to, they're going to have to know who this commander is anyway. So they agree to it. The Lady of Luck flies into a docking port of one of the dreadnoughts, and within minutes, all the uh, the small that small fleet uh, zaps out of there. Uh, Luke Luke sets a course for Joe Mark. Um, that rounds out the finally. chapter. <laughs> yeah, finally, which um, I, I so I have a couple things here. And again, I think we've mentioned on the show before that I I do not have a very detailed recollection of these novels, so I genuinely don't know what turns the plot is going to take. But like, the commander is is Talon Card, right? Like, it's just Zahn teasing Talon Card again, because we know that the, the Dark Force is made up of Dreadnought Cruisers, Talon Card is the only guy in the universe who knows where they are three Dreadnought cruisers drop in to save this mysterious organization of highly capable people who play it on both sides of the empire and the new Republic. Like it's, it's just card again, isn't it? It has to be, or, or maybe it's another guy. I don't know. I thought it was like some uh, mixed
1: up crazy religious cult.
0: Oh, that they were like
1: whatever space Mormonism <laughs> would be
0: that, that appeals to both Bothans and graying ladies. Yeah. Could be. I might have the wrong end of the stick. I mean we'll see. These are these are my uh Yeah, I mean
1: the com- all this stuff like the commander wants to meet with you, that's very like culty vibes to me.
0: Yeah, but so said the commander wants to meet with you again. Right? They they said like, Oh, you've already met before. So it's either it's either some somewhere... Well maybe
1: it's like a metaphorical thing, like, you know, the commander <laughs> has met you in previous right. lifetimes. He's met you.
0: You you are you are you are the uh, the soul who gets reincarnated as the commander's uh, consort. Every look, lifetime. this would
1: all be a lot more obvious if if uh, Star Wars had paper because they would be giving Luke and, and Han some pamphlets. But unfortunately, it doesn't exist. Yeah,
0: sadly, they don't have any literature to hand out. So that's one reason why that's one reason why no one believes in Jedi's anymore. Is before Order sixty six, there would be like Jedi proselytizers on the street handing out uh, you know Watchtower and stuff. But you can't you can't do that without paper. That's
1: so fucking stupid that no one believes in Jedi.
0: <laughs> it's one of the best things about Star Wars. Makes no absolutely no sense. But anyway, um, so we're on to chapter nine, uh, and the, the last segment of our our recap here, and uh, so we're back with Leia in the Falcon, as a uh you know orbiting around Endor as a small patrol ship drops out of hyperspace within a hundred clicks of the Falcon. It's, Ka- it's Kabarak. Is it Karabak? Kabarak. Okay, I did get that right. I keep transposing it to Karabak, uh, but it's Kabarak. Anyway, he has come alone, as promised. Uh, she's, commu- you know, and he's communicating with Leia over the the comm system. Uh, Leia asks if she can bring C-3PO along for translating, but uh, Chewie will stay behind, which Chewie starts you know, of course, they've spent like four to.
1: goddamn pages going on about whether or not Chewie can make the, the voyage. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's, it's really repetitive. Again,
0: really repetitive takes way, way longer than it should. Um, uh, but it does get us to uh, so uh Kabarak is okay with three coming along and Leia asks if she can bring a sensor analyzer package with her to test the air and soil for anything dangerous. Kabarak insists. No, it's fine. But Leia lets him know that, Hey, I'm pregnant with two new lives. I have to watch out for them. Heirs of Lord Vader, the calm speaker hissed. So she let it drop. Although you'd think, like, if this guy's, like, olfactory sense is sensitive enough to sniff that this person is a daughter of another specific human being, surely a pregnancy would be pretty obvious in whatever sense he's picking up. I would think. But... Apparently, this is a surprise to him. So, I don't know. Maybe Nogri don't know much about human physiology. I don't know. Uh, Chewie again raises objections. But here, Kabarak intuits that the Wookiee is under a life debt obligation to Leia and the twins. So he considers for a moment, and then he says that, hmm, Wookiee honor is much like Nogri honor. And so Chewie can come along after all. Uh, It will be a four-day trip back to the Nogri planet but uh Kabarak keeps mostly to himself during that time. Chewie whiles away the day futzing about with electronics on the ship, you know, is kind of tinkering. And C3PO attempts a linguistic analysis of the one Nogri word that they know, the Malariush, uh that they uh that Kavarok called Leia, for some kind of hint as to who the Nogri are, who they might be related to, but uh to, to no avail. There's there's nothing in his computer banks that can really put heads or tails together with that. Um, They reach the Nogri world after this uh, long weekend flying, and it is completely devastated beyond anything Leia had imagined. The entire surface is a kind of angry, dead brown with the occasional lake or small ocean, no green or yellow that would indicate foliage cover. The, uh, The exception is one patch of pale green which the ship is headed toward, but also in sight is... Bum, bum, bum. A Star Destroyer? Oh, that little needle tooth bastard. What? what? That little piece of shit, Darth Vader mask-looking piece of... I'm going to fuck him up. He betrayed us. Chewie leaps up to tear a new one, um, but he insists he did not call for them, and furthermore, that they all need to shut the hell up so that he can get on the columns and give the recognition signal so that they don't tip off the Imperials that something weird is going on. Chewy's not having it. He's throwing down. the the, the claws are going to come out, um, probably. Even though it's an honor thing not to have the claws out, so Karabakh just tases him <laughs> and knocks him out. Uh, Leia's upset at first, but then recognizes the logic in it. Um, so Karabak uh, finally radios in. He he gives the signal uh, and and claims that an equipment malfunction has kept him from doing so in a timely manner. Um, he kind of has a few minutes chatter with uh, the you know ground control operator there. And then uh, Leia and Karbak kind of discuss their options uh, because it turns out their imperial lord has come and called for a general conclave of all the clan dynasts. So that's kind of blowing up his plan to introduce his clan leader to Leia and describe what's going on. And this is, of course, is uh, what we had in... I think the last, uh, the last episode where Thrawn was like, "Ah, I'm going to go to the Nogri homeworld and really, really give them, the, give them the riot act to make sure that they straighten up and fly right. So, uh, Karabak decides that he's going to set down the, the spaceship at his remote home village near the edge of the clean land where they can hide out while the Grand Admiral is there. And then uh, speaking of, we then switch perspective to Grand Admiral Thrawn who is holding court. Finally. Th- finally. We're <laughs> here we are. Finally getting some Thrawn action in here. And, and actually, I, some pretty good Thrawning going on. He's, he's holding court in the gleaming high seat of the common room of Honogur, uh, receiving homage from all of the Nogri clan dynasts. You know, like, he's their feudal lord, so they're all coming and bending the knee and swearing fealty. Um, Peleon is standing nearby, bored as hell, uh, but his, uh, his little reverie is interrupted by an officer letting him know that, uh, well, because Thrawn specifically instructed everyone to notify him if something out of the ordinary occurred, like, well, here we go, something, something happened. A Nogri commando ship on its way in almost didn't give the recognition response in time and furthermore begged off setting down in the capital landing area. So, you know, Pelayan is like, hmm, you'd think someone with equipment problems would want to get them seen to in the garage here, you know, the capital area landing area. Even more suspicious, they got a positive ID on the pilot. It's Kabarak of Clan Kimbar. So Pelayan agrees to interrupt the ceremony to inform Grand Admiral Thrawn, who is, uh, he recognizes that, you know, Kabarak of Clan Kimbar, like, oh, wait, the sole survivor of the raid on Kashik. Um, and Grand Admiral Thrawn is also especially interested in the fact that the static damping going on on the ship is kind of scrambling their sensors so they can't tell, uh, you know, they, they can't scan it for life forms or whatever, you know, that kind of thing, and, which was part of the equipment malfunction, as, uh, as Karabok claimed it. Thrawn's spidey sense is tingling. So he calls forth the Dynast of Clan Keenbor to let him know, hey, we're actually going to be packing up and we're going to go to your home village and welcome this commando home. Prepare my shuttle. So there we go. That's the end of chapter nine. Hey, it's something that's actually almost intriguing. It's something that is actually kind of exciting. Like, how are they going to get out of this one? So uh, wrapping it all up, Elaborate costumes. Elaborate costumes. Yes, elaborate costumes for all at the, uh, the common room of Honiger. Um, yeah, this, was, this just really felt like a lot of uh, kind of treading water. And the fact that... And Zahn has done this a couple times. In fact, I think it's something he does a lot. <laughs> Where he'll have the characters talk about how they need to go to this place to figure out more about what's going on. And then they go to the place and then they're instantly forced or like the, like the plot demands that they go somewhere else without finding anything out. Like it happened when Luke went to Dagobah. Yeah, that's true. Luke went to Dagobah and he found space garbage to then take to Lando to ask him what it is. And it turns out, oh, it's a key fob for a spaceship. And in the author notes, Timothy Zahn specifically said like, yeah, I did that just to give Luke an excuse to have to go see Lando. What in the world <laughs> and and they did it again. he was gonna go to New Cove to find out what was important about that place to Borskphalia, and instead he gets shanghaied and taken off planet within twenty minutes and I'm getting tired of it. I'm getting jerked around. uh another thing I wanted to say is i'm I'm glad that Luke is finally on his way to Joe Mark, but also the the uh the chronology is weird in the way this has been chopped up, because I don't know if you remember on the last episode, the end of chapter six was George Cabaoth like waking up and thinking about like his day and whatever, and a messenger coming to give him some important news, which you know we presumed to you know mean like this has to be about Luke arriving on Joe Mark or something. Uh, right? Maybe it's like something else like Ed Asner died. Yes. And this is how, this is the only way you can do like, this is the version of a Google alert on Joe Mark. Is that a guy just comes up on a, on a little, uh, a, a giant ostrich bird thingy and, uh, and comes up to your place to tell you. Um, It did seem weird that they had that, that Joe Mark setting set up before Luke actually is leaving to go anywhere. Uh, I don't know. It seemed an odd choice, but yeah, this is one I'm going to, Oh, Ronnie, I have to give this section a rare four out of five stars because uh, I'm not su- I'm <laughs> not sure I'm not sure that Timothy was really bringing his a game. I mean, the fact that we have there were two, two or three really boring multi page set pieces, basically, and they weren't very good. They couldn't carry what he was hoping they would do, I guess. Um, we have a callback to a character we were just introduced to two, three chapters ago with the spaceship thief a, a a coincidental reintroduction. It's not like it was from the last book and we're seeing him again. Like, Oh, Hey, it's that guy. It was literally just like, we learned this guy existed two chapters ago, a, a weird choice to bring him back so soon. Um, yeah, just, I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, I, I fully trust Timothy in his plan for us. Don't get me wrong, but This one, I don't know. My faith took a little hit. How'd you feel about it?
1: Well, the thing about books is there has to be a certain number of pages, and uh, sometimes (laughs) you only have enough ideas for so many pages. But Lucasfilm, like
0: yeah, Lucasfilm was very insistent. This has to be a real book, so it's got to have pages.
1: So I mean, maybe he stretched out a few things he shouldn't have stretched out. Or maybe he's being paid by the word. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's really um, I don't know.
1: I, I, I in which case I I question some of his uh, writing choices because I forget what uh, passage it was, but he refers to something as a dark silence. Yeah, how yeah. can silence be dark?
0: <laughs> well, I think that that was something when Leia was having her freak out. In orbit around Endor, right? And I could, I think, with something like that, it like might be. trying to describe the psychic effect of a Dark Jedi's ghost or whatever. Yeah, you know, I, I, I can give you that a little bit, but but also, yeah, it doesn't make any sense because dark is a, well, it's a visual word, it's a visual cue, um, and of course, silence is not <laughs> visual. Well, I say that, but you know, I mean, I. It's like describing. It's like describing something as a stinky silence. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Well, maybe Timothy Zahn has synesthesia. Did you think of that? Did you think of that, Ronnie, before you decided to be ableist?
1: That would actually be pretty cool.
0: I think it would make him an interesting, a more interesting writer. <laughs> but,
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah. But really, I think here, like, honestly, kind of the best part of all this is I, I really like the concept of, like, an ayahuasca planet. <laughs> it's just chock full of jungles with shit that will get you high and poison you, and so that's what makes it important to galactic economy. I thought that was kind of a fun concept, um, but yeah, other than that, like... as I
1: said before, I like the I like the concept of uh, Judge Jedi. Judge Jedi the execution wasn't great, but yeah, because it went on for way too long. But I like the idea of you know just he has to solve like random barroom disputes <laughs> because, because they, they appeal to authority.
0: That's right. The, uh, as, you know, solving random barroom disputes is one of the many ways in which the Jedi are much like the Guinness Book of World Records of the Star Wars galaxy. Yes. <laughs> that always confused the hell out of me. I was like, who the fuck is arguing about who has the longest fingernails in the world? At the bar, like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then I actually looked into the story, and it's of course because of weird rich guy shit. Um, that the 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 owner of the Guinness Brewery was like sports shooting with his friends, and they were arguing about which bird was the fastest in Europe, like which game bird. <laughs> was it was it the the Cornish waterfowl or the or the 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 Hessian the, the, the Hessian uh, uh, piper or whatever. Uh, and so that's why they de- he decided to make a reference book of all the world records of everything. Really fucking stupid.
1: I thought it was just like a drunken decision.
0: I mean, it was probably that, too, to be fair. But in the end, it gave me a lot of enjoyment. Like,
1: yeah, fuck it. I'll make a book of world records.
0: Yeah, it gave me a lot of enjoyment having the factoid on hand of like, you know, what's the deepest lake and you know who are the fattest twins on motorcycles in the world you know I, I got to I got to have that so oh yeah those guys those guys <laughs> perennial Guinness book of world records photograph those guys but anyway I I guess to bring it bring it all around we'll see you know uh needs improvement we're going to give uh I'm going to give this one uh an a minus you know my four stars rating I'm hoping Zahn has the magic back next time or else this is going to be a long slog through the middle doldrums of the trilogy but uh We'll just have to. Well, I
1: do think I do think you'll notice that the thing picked up once Thrawn was was thrown back into the mix. Well, as always, I think that's this. key, and
0: it's really it's so clear. that... I think that's key because
1: yeah. because the the non-Thrawn side quests are of varying levels of uh, of interest and competency, whereas Thrawn you really get the sense that he's doing something.
0: Well, it's very clear that when Zon. When Zahn is on the stage, Timothy is using his whole ass. When Zahn is not on stage, I don't think Timothy's using his whole ass <laughs> with his writing. <laughs> For all of us talk about these beloved characters and whatnot, he's clearly most interested in his original creation throughout all this. Uh, which I would be too, because I think he, he is the most interesting thing going on in all of this. I mean, maybe because that's he's written that way, but you know, I concur with Mr. Zahn about that. Now well, speaking of interesting things going on, uh, now that we've concluded the uh chapter recap portion of our podcast, Thronderdome, it is now time to get to the real draw, the real reason we're all here, the uh the 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 SEO search engine optimization part of the show, what really draws in new listeners, what keeps them here. That's right, it is our world famous debate segment into the Thronderdome. Where I, Dr. Daniel Doughty, and my intrepid co host and, and fellow traveler of the mental realms, Ronnie Gardaki, will battle like so many uh, titans of mental wizardry on the battlefield of controversy. I'm getting pretty good at these. <laughs> so, with all that said, what shall we be struggling over as two titanic brain masses? What is the dispute? to be resolved once and for all on this episode of Thronderdome.
1: Funko Pops versus flushing your money down the toilet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this is another one where it's not exactly pro-con on one thing, but we're going to weigh the options between spending money on Funko Pops versus flushing the money down the toilet. Right? Like, which one's better to do? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm just making sure I got the parameters of the, of the dispute here. Um, so I I'm gonna take the Funko Pops side, and if you'll permit me, Ronnie, I, I would I would like to go first. Okay. All right. Your funeral. Right. No, here we go. I think I got something. I got something. <clears throat> From the very beginning of what we can call. Humankind. People have been shaping objects. They have been imbuing objects with uh, meaning and purpose. Now, to begin with, them for the first million or two years of human beings imbuing purpose to objects in the world, this was seemed to be mostly a practical one. We have, of course, a long record of stone tool use which began uh, really under our, our not-quite-human hominid cousins, such as Australopithecus and, uh, and Homo erectus, but which was, of course, inherited by the uh, Homo sapiens, Homo, Homo Neandertalus and Homo sapiens to come, what we would term human beings. Now, it is with the occurrence of modern human beings, Homo sapiens, that not only do we find tools, worked tools, a piece of stone is worked into a tool, We find objects that are worked into images. They're objects worked into, for lack of a better term, pieces of art that don't serve any clear practical function like smashing open a bone to be able to get to the marrow or cutting a hide or anything like that. We have ivory carvings. There's a famous one from about, I believe, 30,000 years ago called The Lion Man. This is an ivory carving of an anthropomorphic figure with a lion's head. Astounding. Like, what were they thinking of when they made these things? There's a human drive to create objects that are imbued with a symbolic power and which represent uh, powerful ideas, powerful personages, powerful spirits and forces at work in the world. They are made to be comprehensible. They're made to be graspable, literally, by rendering them in these images of these small objects. Ronnie, to buy a Funko Pop is to, is to really engage with this deeply human need to have an object, a tactile object, which represents a greater power or idea, be it the, the wonderful Venus figurines of prehistory, uh, the icons. Uh, religious icons for veneration and contemplation, or you know, a little vinyl, cartoony looking thing of uh, Marvel's Katie from the Rings of Shang-Chi, or whatever she was from. Uh, So as you can see there, I think spending your money on Funko Pops is really spending your money on being human.
1: Well, I completely disagree with you. I believe that that the human thing to do is to flush your money down the toilet instead of Give money to Funko Pops, which are uh, devilish little designs, dead-eyed, uh, dead-eyed monsters, uh, got doll's eyes, lifeless eyes of all your favorite Office characters, your favorite <laughs> Mindy Project characters.
0: Hey, look! I, hey, hey! I... W- now, what are the pros? To- Sorry, please go ahead. Sorry. You, Go ahead. No, 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 you have the floor. I, I I, stepped onto your time. This is debate. This is a, a formal debate.
1: Well, now, now you're, you're saying to yourself, okay, Ronnie, you've got some good points, but that seems more anti-Funko-Pock and less uh, pro-flushing your money down the toilet. Now, there are some pluses to flushing your money down the toilet. One, money isn't real. Uh, it's all made up, and And you're adhering to a a system created by the man in order to keep you down. So what better way to protest that than to flush it down the toilet? Two, it's pretty cool watching stuff flush down the toilet. Like, uh... And, uh, if you live in Australia, you can see it go the other way around.
0: Oh, yeah, and they... the Coriolis uh, effect. Yeah, and they flush loonies down the toilet down there, too. And,
1: uh... Three... If you if you flush enough money down the toilet, you'll realize that uh, you shouldn't be spending money on Funko Pops at all. Because uh, if the if the choices are flushing money down the toilet and and uh, spending money on Funko Pops, you're going to go with the third option of doing neither, and then you'll have more money in your pocket that you can spend on gambling.
0: <laughs> that is, that's <laughs> so that's pretty good. So by through the uh, act of flushing money down the toilet, it does prepare you for the much more fun act of flushing money down the toilet, metaphorically, through gambling. I guess I get it. Um, yes. Well, that's pretty powerful. I have a rebuttal. I have a rebuttal. Uh, I actually looked into Funko Pops one time to understand what the fuck was going on with all that. And uh, as it turns out, Funko Pops have a Bob's Big Boy connection. And um, <laughs> I don't think Bob's Big Boy has come up on the show yet, but uh, it is one of the five things I'm interested in as the history of the the very first fast food franchise as we know it. Uh, uh, Bob Wyon and uh, Bob's Big Boy and all the regional big boys. Um, but apparently the origin of Funko Pops is that there was a particular like big boy like figurine ashtray or whatever that a guy wanted to get on eBay and he wasn't able to get it. And so that gave him the idea of like, well, I can just fabricate my own Bob's big boys. Uh, And so he did that and that, or got some license to do it too, I think. Uh, And so that was the first round of licensed collectible statuettes that he ever made were little Bob's big boys. Um, So that uh, th- thereafter, that was kind of what what uh, gave him the taste for uh, having a line of cheap vinyl licensed uh, characters to run off. So not only do we have Bob Wyan and his vision for a delicious double decker hamburger to thank for the modern fast food franchise and also for the Big Mac, So not only do do we have him to thank for McDonald's in general and every other one, but also specifically the Big Mac was a ripoff of the Big Boy Double Decker Hamburger Sandwich as uh, as regionally done by the Eaton Park Big Boy franchise in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, We can also thank uh, Bob Wyan and his vision for Funko Pops. So. Buy Funko Pops as a way to remember a uh, pioneer of American business that uh, probably kills a lot of people. Oh, I thought you meant like kills people literally. I mean, you know, cholesterol and heart disease, you know, the kind of things I take pills for. No, I thought you meant like he,
1: he drives around and like like uh, knocks off kids. Oh. <laughs>
0: I don't think so. There is the story behind naming the hamburger the Big Boy, though, is because uh, Bob Wyan ran a little hamburger stand that he bought from two old ladies in 1936. Uh, and there was a local kid who was like a 10-year-old, 11-year-old kid who would do odd jobs around the burger stand for hamburgers, uh, to be paid in hamburgers. And there was one time that Bob could not remember the kid's name, so he just called out, uh, hey, you there, uh, uh, you know, uh, Big Boy, get over here. Uh, and so everyone called him big Boy after that. and that's how the sandwich was named after him. Uh, presumably the, uh, the that mascot sounds like was... a,
1: that sounds like a kid who killed who killed himself at age 33.
0: It really it really does, it really does. So Bob Wyan did kill that kid. Big boy hang self. <laughs> Bob's big boy found dead in Pasadena.
1: <laughs> anyway. Um, well do your research Daniel Find out what happened to Big Boy I
0: will try to do that research I, I did. I found that anecdote in uh, I, I got through Interlibrary Loan because it's Incredibly out of print and also probably should have been Printed to, be, to begin with but there was a, a History written of Bob Wyan and, and Big Boy By a family friend uh, And so it's full Of all kinds of like weird personal Digressions about what a great guy Bob Was and stuff it's really weird Very funny I should probably buy my own copy Um but anyway, so isn't it incredibly out of print? <laughs> and That's you know, when you're a librarian, you, know, you get used to different different varieties of being out of print. Like you can have a book that's out of print, but there's a lot of copies circulating, so it doesn't really feel out of print. And then you got stuff that's really out of print, like this. Uh, oh, like the Synapsids book I just got today. Uh, but anyway, uh, is no, your I, wife
1: going to have to hit you over the head with a rolling pin for spending three hundred dollars on a big boy book?
0: <laughs> No, no. In fact, she will not be hitting my head with a rolling pin uh, about like, because really, it's my Funko Pops. I mean, these books are my Funko Pops. Uh, but I, I, I've reached the end of, you'll be happy to learn this, Ronnie. I've basically bought every book that you can that's devoted solely to Synapsids, the mammal-like reptiles. There were not many to begin with, and I've purchased them all, basically. Uh, but anyway. Oh
1: well, that now was, the was turn is to write
0: your own. That's right. Yeah, we were talking about that last night. Yeah, I may have to. But uh, anyway, uh, so to wrap up our debate segment, um, everyone enjoy Bob's Big Boy. It's a favorite of David Lynch. Classic Americana. What were we talking about? Funko Pops. Um, yeah, folks. Uh, Funko Pops or flushing your money down the toilet, which is the better time? Uh, write into the show. thronderdomepod at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what you think and who won today's into the thronder debate segment, but wrapping that up, uh, because as always, we I did to, as always, as, as always, Ronnie claims he won. And I much like Timothy's on trust the listener to, uh, to fill in their to make their own mind up about what an alien looks like or who won the debate uh, with all that wrapped up. Thank you for joining us again for, uh, thronder dome, the world's only star Wars podcast. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week with chapters 10, 11, and 12 of Dark Force Rising. And maybe we'll get to know a little bit more about this mysterious oh commander. Yeah. Maybe we'll get to see the Dark Force. Uh, who knows? Maybe it will rise. Maybe something will rise. Something will rise. Will it be the bile to the back of our throats? <laughs> we, we will see. <laughs> well, something's going to rise. And in the meantime... Uh, rise and shine everyone because I assume you're listening to this at 5 in the morning Uh, so now it's a little after 6 time to get up for work and we'll see you next time
1: remember to brush your teeth